of Varden's Ramos podcast. Conversations with aliens of extraordinary ability. And welcome to Vatan Sumba's podcast series, Conversations with Aliens of Extraordinary Ability. My name is Prerna and this is the labor block of episodes. Our guest today is Ruben Steinem, the chair of Noshk Palit Kunstnera or the Norwegian Visual Artists Union. We will talk to him about the history of NBK, their challenges in organizing self-employed artists, how they compare to other unions in Norway, especially other cultural unions, and of course what are their policy goals welcome to vadan sharma's podcast series so this episode block uh, that i'm i'm working with is mostly about um, labor and specifically i'd like to talk to you about the working conditions of um, artists in norway we are looking more generally at creative professionals uh, but for this conversation with you we'll keep it to visual artists because uh, you are the leader of nbk maybe you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what is nbk yes and uh, and thanks for inviting me to this show so to everyone listening uh, or watching i'm my name is ruben stanen i'm an artist and i'm uh, elected as president for for nbk or uh, the association for norwegian visual artists so an nbk is uh, an union and a members organization uh, committed to promote and enhance the intellectual, social, legislative and economic interests of professional visual artists. Uh, we organize approximately 3000 professional artists uh, in Norway and um, and then and just to start with those like organizational structures, we're organized as an umbrella organization. So even though we have historical ties back to 1882, like the modern day NBK uh, was established in as uh, late as in 1989. So this umbrella consists of uh, 14 regional organizations, and we have five discipline-specific and nationwide organization for painters, uh, printmakers, textile art, etc. And then there's also the organization called UQS, or Young Artists uh, Society. I was also wondering, because for a lot of people, especially when you come from a non-European Union background, very many places do not have unions for artists. Uh, so it would be interesting also to understand um, what what is a union for artists and how is it different from a guild? Uh, how has NBK kind of positioned itself historically uh, along this trajectory? Yes, uh, that's an interesting question. And I think uh, one should also recognize that there has been an R, uh, artist uh, unions. Uh, but uh, and the question that arises when uh, uh, when trying to explain like the, the development of an artist union is of course the question of uh, how the art, the work is uh, organized and for artists uh, uh, the artistic practice is uh, being uh, done as a self-employed free uh, or liberal worker um, which is uh, different than for example a lot of musicians and actors who've been uh, employed 
So that that's like a, a historical difference between uh, self-employed uh, artists and employed uh, art workers or artists. And uh, as I mentioned, some of these uh, organizations, uh, as for the painters, and they have a more of a guild-like history. Uh, and but then it's also very closely connected to artists self-organizing. So even though, for example, you have an exhibition in Norway that uh, Enbecore uh, produces, which is the Autumn Exhibition or the States Exhibition, that was also started as an initiative of self-organizing from the artist side. Uh, and I think a, a main reason uh, or a way to understand this artist organization is that you have the, in a way, simple insight that you understand that you should organize together to fight for all, for the interests of all. And in that sense, it's very closely connected to a, a general union understanding of, uh, of organizing. And then, of course, Enbeko, and as I mentioned, uh, it's Enbeko uh, in its for, uh, the form it has now is quite new in a sense, but, but it was definitely from after the Second World War and in the 50s and 60s and then in the 70s that more of a union kind of uh, uh, idea became to be more closely connected with Enbeko. And in that uh, uh, time, ideas of collective bargaining, for example, for artists arose and and also uh, working for the rights of artists very much closely connected to cultural policies but also more formally in the sense that i'm talking about with uh, collective bargaining i think we come back to the question of collective bargaining because i think that's that's very interesting uh, but i just it would be nice to understand also how is an organization like nbk structured like you said you were an elected uh, leader like uh, what what is the economic situation of an organization like nbk how does it get support mm -hmm. yeah nbk has a, a mixed income in that sense uh, uh, our main uh, income is, of course, from the artists. Like this is our artists supporting themselves through organizing. So that is the core of the, uh, how Endoco is, is financed. But we also, as I mentioned with the States exhibition, we're producing that exhibition. And so that is uh, funded from the public, but that is also a funding that goes directly into creating this exhibition and not uh, working, uh, as I mentioned, with my political work. And there's also a, a, a fund um, uh, created by artists uh, to pay for the general use of art in, public, in the public uh, that is being uh, paid out in uh, uh, grants and stipends. And uh, a portion, a, sl a small, small portion of that is also paying for the, for the running of Endecore. Uh, so th uh, and that is one of the ways to, to build a more uh, solid financial situation for an organization like Embeco that is, uh, as I mentioned, is, is, is not only doing union work, we're doing uh, work for, uh, with this exhibition and as a secretary for uh, the stipend committees. But when uh, you asked about the structure on how um, uh, the organization is uh, Put together, uh, of course, the board of Enbeco. It consists of uh, artists. So or all the board members are artists themselves. And we have a biannual uh, conference that is formally uh, the top organ that decides on Enbeco's strategic and political goals. And uh, uh, and that uh, organ it consists of delegates from all our uh, organizations inside of Enbeco. And these are these 
14 regional and uh, and these uh, and the other national and discipline specific organizations mm-hmm. so in in that sense like uh, like is the board paid or does this, do you receive a salary or how does and and that salary comes from membership fee yes uh, my position is in english called uh, president and it's but it would also be okay to call it chair of the board uh, because i'm i'm uh, always working on on behalf of what the board as a collective decides uh, and i've paid a, a salary that makes me possible for me to have this as my full time uh, work at the at the moment there has been also changes in this over time but at the moment that's how it's organized and then the board members are also paid to uh, to sit on the board uh, and of course uh, like we have employees in, in the embargo which are a regular employment mm-hmm. but that's uh, a result of uh, basically organizing together is that you can direct uh, resources in the direction of uh, working politically more uh, focused and full-time. I just wanted to understand then how does NBK kind of differ from Creo? You said UKS was kind of part of NBK as being an umbrella, but how does it differ from say uh, Creo, which is also a visual artist, performing artist union? I would say uh, Creo, which is a, it's it's a quite a new name for what was formerly known as the Musicians uh, MFU. I don't know how to translate it perfectly, but it's has been traditionally an organization for musicians uh, mostly, uh, and they have been connected with Ello in uh, Norway. For, uh, I don't know since when these details, but for a long time, uh, mostly due to the fact that a lot of their members are employed. And they're also representing a lot of uh, uh, teachers and uh, and other professions that have full-time employment. So I think that's one of the historical reasons why uh, you have this uh, difference between an organization, of, for example, with Ambicor uh, for visual artists that are uh, self-employed. So. Um, but I would also like to just emphasize like uh, and before we're working very closely collaborating with the Creo and also in what is called in Norway, there's uh, a network, not a formal organization, but called Kunstnetverket or the Artist Organization Network that consists of 19 different organizations that represent all the different, both authors, dancers, screenplay writers, filmmakers, joint forces in this network. On, uh, on cases that we all agree on. So, uh, and, and in this question, like the, I think there's always this balance of having this uh, specific knowledge about the uh, specific area of the art sector. And on, on the other side, the, the need for these larger entities. I've uh, heard some uh, uh, feedback for, from, uh, from the Netherlands where they uh, chose to organize very broadly. And, and that unfortunately, and there became some problems because you have uh, there was a need for more uh, specific voices in one area or another uh, and this is uh, also i i think this is uh, has a lot to do that with the fact that uh, we're not only working on uh, like uh, general uh, uh, working conditions but very much cultural policy which is, of course, a, a case of prior, uh, prioritizing one thing in uh, in regards to something else. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why I actually think this artist network has been a success because it, uh, it is a way of focusing uh, the common cases that all artists have together. And at the same time, being able to maintain that uh, specific specificity of the area that they are representing and their members. Earlier, NBK was, I mean, the, the forerunner of NBK uh, was different in terms of the way its approach to uh, fighting for the rights of artists was different. Like what changed or... I think, it, uh, uh, or and this is more of uh, of the general discussions on how to organize workers generally in society, and we've seen the rise of uh, of uh, bogus self employment platform workers, and those kinds of questions that has been arising uh, uh, for the last I don't know ten years or so, but uh, is really culminating now and is being addressed in the EU as well. And we can see that also in Norway, but in the sense that uh, there is still a difference where uh, the question whether you're supposed to be employed uh, and then that being the fight that, uh, of course, labor unions should fight for uh, and in those areas where self-employment is the way that you see artists being uh, organized uh, in in the future as well. And this is so for Embeco, we will always have to focus on on the needs of artists being self-employed for example uh, a way to tackle bogus self-employment and platform uh, uh, self-employment uh, can in many cases be to fight for normal employment and that yeah. wouldn't necessarily uh, solve these specific cases for artists. What I understand from Creo and I understand from LO that now they have these self-employed uh, kind of union structures forming. And uh, so just to get back to, I think is this is the reason why NBK is not part of LO because while LO is still organizing self-employed workers, the goal of that kind of organization is that there is a possibility of being employed. That that is one reason I would say, and but the discussions about the, these questions uh, keep uh, arising in the organization, and and would then of course be be uh, something that the organization and the core uh, has to consider. But from from my understanding, uh, in many of the cases for Creo and and Edlo, uh, there is the possibility of achieving the goal of. Uh, Fighting bogus self-employment, which is something we definitely support because that is a problem. And artists uh, meet that problem also when they're doing, for example, teaching and other uh, non-art but related work that they're doing. Because for artists or most of our members, the core uh, difficulty is that the precariousness of the work is also related to what has been known as patchwork economy. And, uh, and we will definitely get into that when it comes to the non-AOS uh, citizens working in Norway. Yeah. And just shortly, patchwork economy is that you're, you need to have income from both uh, self-employment, from freelance work, and from maybe short-term or short uh, employment. So you're combining income from different sources that uh, in the system is not considered as a whole income. And our members, most of our members have at least two different sources of their income. Hmm. Not only income, I mean, not only then 
kind of the sources of being employed or self-employed. I think the, the essence of also patchwork economy is that you work outside one field. So it's not only cultural work that you do, but you also are in the restaurant business or you're also like cleaning houses or teaching or so in, in that sense, I mean, this is something that we come to that how does a union for self-employed workers who are engaged in a patchwork economy function, like what are the challenges of of such a yeah of such a union definitely and and when and when uh, looking into income for artists uh, in norway we've uh, usually divided it into artistic income and then you have uh, non-art but art related income which for example would be teaching at an art academy or a school or, and then you have non-art income that for many of our uh, members would be as you mentioned in other areas, service industry, like uh, uh, in um, health-related uh, uh, work, other places in society. That, uh, but mostly of, uh, and this is me, uh, not remembering the English word, but ikke fag utana. So non-educated work in different other sectors. Unskilled. Yeah, and of course, these together creates a very uncertain and in many cases precarious working condition. And it's also important to ask for visual artists when it comes to the artistic income. One of the things we've seen from many of the, um, the insights from the, these uh, income studies is that a lot of artists, they uh, reinvest uh, almost all of their money in creating new art. And uh, the cost of creating art is very high and it's constantly high. So it's not like a one-time investment. So that is, of course, one of the reasons why we're so uh, clear on the fact that you need to create this more of a long-term base income for artists uh, so that you have the possibility of investing continuously in the artistic practice, which is, of course, uh, crucial to the... Uh, when not only talking about the, the, the income uh, or of this... Uh, of the artist, but also the um, how and um, one works with art and uh, with art being the goal in a sense. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what is this long-term base for, for yeah. income? In, uh, in Norway, we're focusing on uh, stipends or like long-term grants to artists that uh, will uh, create a, a stable income situation for the artists. So you have both state-funded uh, stipends and grants, and you also have some stipends uh, supported through these funds that I mentioned earlier. And they can range from uh, shorter one-term stipends of, uh, of uh, I'd say it's approximately 10,000 and 15,000 euros. And, uh, and then you have these uh, one-year, two-year, three-year, five-year, and even 10-year grants uh, that we've been working on to make sure that it will at least be approximately half an income like a normal income in norway it's not it's definitely not making you rich but it is like this base of security uh, on a more long-term basis historically and not so many years ago it was uh, stopped in uh, 2012 but until 2012 from the late 70s you had something called guaranteed minimum income for artists in norway and specifically visual artists were uh, among the artist groups that, that you could see that uh, benefited the most from this uh, basic income because, as I mentioned, a lot of the income were being used to invest 
in their own artistic production compared to other art uh, art fields. Unfortunately, that was uh, stopped in 2012 and uh, displayed or the and the new uh, scheme were these 10 year grants that we now see today but there are approximately there are some over 250 uh, stipends like this in all of Norway what would you say was the reason why it was stopped and replaced with the 10 year I don't have all the details on this, but some of the claims from other artists as well, but also in the general public, was that in some for some artists it was seen as uh, because you couldn't uh, if you started earning more than a minimum share, uh, it would uh, you you wouldn't benefit from it. So if you made this money from your art, this would just be a security thing. And for for you can see from uh, some of the art uh, fields. The artists who received this never actually got paid, but it was completely different for art, uh, the visual artists. So that was one reason why it was seen or claimed to be a poverty trap. Uh, but for visual artists, that was not the case. This was actually really securing them on a more long-term basis. Uh, but there were also like general discussions in the public whether artists who received this money actually did some work and. Uh, some populist uh, claims of artists receiving this and not really creating artworks uh, and a general feeling in the society at that moment, I think, that you, you, a lot of uh, politicians and uh, the general feeling in the population, they didn't see the need for these kinds of long-term security at that moment. Mm. I think uh, it has definitely changed now, especially uh, because partly because of Corona, and you see this need for this long-term security as something that artists also should be uh, granted. Yeah, I think this is kind of one of the challenges that maybe how would be interesting to understand how does NBK kind of deal with inequalities within the visual arts? Because like you said, like at some point, there, there's such vast inequalities. There are artists who earn a lot of money based on either selling work or there's a system where they can get good at getting grants. Mm -hmm. Let's just say if NBK's kind of position is to secure a good economy for most artists, then how does it deal with such kind of inequalities within the visual arts itself? Yes. I would say that uh, it's always good to look at the, the broad picture of all that or what the situation for most artists. Uh, my point being that the group that are making a lot from their art is so small that there is definitely a need to take care of that uh, uh, the general artist population. And to work uh, to maintain that, or no, not maintain, but to strengthen and, and, uh, and bettering the, art, uh, the working conditions, increasing the number of these grants is definitely one of the core uh, or the most important things we can do because that is going directly to the artist. And it's also important to mention that uh, the grants, it's not only about the, the personal economy of this one artist. Of course, that's super important, but this is also making sure that uh, the profession uh, artist is available to, to those who want to become an artist and have the will and the professional standard to become an artist because when the working conditions are so precarious and the, the, uh, and the income for most artists is so low, we have a problem when it comes to recruitment from uh, all people or, or all citizens, uh, regardless of social or economical background. So I, 
at least from my perspective, that's all, always like the, 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 a super important point to make. I think I brought this up with Stefan earlier and I, what I think is quite uh, problematic is the opacity of, of these grant systems, right? This kind of meritocracy where you cannot tell what, what is the reason behind this meritocracy. There is a kind of opaqueness to it. So while on the one hand you're saying that, yes, all artists from all economic backgrounds should feel like they can become artists because these stipends are secured. Also, you see more and more of the same people getting stipends over and over again. So so I'm not sure that the idea of a stipend uh, that is based on meritocracy actually helps the inequality or the economic conditions of artists. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally understand the question, but it's also then important to uh, have in mind, like we have strong structures to make sure that it's not, that it's uh, transparent who is being elected on these committees, that they always change. So you never have the same committee more than two years. So you make sure that there are fresh eyes reviewing, uh, peer reviewing the, the applications. But most important, I think for visual artists, approximately 5% of the application for this uh, st state stipends. This is not the funds included. Only five percent of the applications are being uh, or uh, applicants receive a stipend. And for all artists, that this includes like dancers and authors, and it's approximately ten percent. So you, you have to take into account that there is actually a very uh, concrete need to increase these numbers to make it available for. Uh, all professional artists uh, and and the committee and uh, the state utvalg. Uh, I don't know the word for it, but the the ones that formally uh, give the uh, or reward these stipends, they repeat every year that there are way more uh, qualified uh, applicants than stipends. So, uh, uh, from my perspective, I think it's important to start where you can actually see a very concrete and. <laughs> Uh, a problem with the system and that is the sheer lack of, of grants. As I said, it's 5% who receive uh, a second that says 95% does not receive uh, and it's being said over and over that the and this has nothing to do with the quality. Yeah. And then on the other side, I think you have a good question, but there's also the legitimacy of these uh, stipends uh, in the broader public and amongst politicians that there are some good reasons to keep uh, a clear, uh, as you call it, you call it meritocracy, but it's, um, there are good reasons why it's uh, legitimized in the broader public on these spaces as well. So, yeah, but I would say start with the, the easy or the very clear problem that there are so few stipends. So is this part of NBK's agenda to kind of increase the number of stipends? Definitely. And we've set uh, to the, the, the artist network together has set a goal that it should be a minimum of 25% because that would put it more closely to other uh, public uh, funding schemes that regularly have a, a percentage of uh, acceptance that is uh, 25 or more. And recently at the Landsmöte, uh, just a few few weeks ago, and because at the goal of 35%, which is uh, what we're then going to work towards. What would that mean? Like to one, what does it mean to set this goal of 35%? Uh, and how does NBK then work towards such a 
goal because this is all about state money yeah who do you have to convince so what kind of pressures do you have to put and on whom yeah this is uh, this is where it's uh, it's politics and setting a clear goal like this uh, will make it uh, easier for us to, to set a demand and then get an answer on whether that demand will be uh, uh, met uh, compared to a more general goal of just increasing the numbers which is uh, not quantified and uh, it's a way to hold politicians accountable uh, and actually uh, uh, confront them on uh, their policies in that specific area because then you're going to ask them concretely whether they want to or how they're going to answer to that demand i think it's, that is very much like a, a, a pragmatic way of working with politics with a scope that is uh, potentially achievable because there are uh, political parties in Norway that they have not said clearly that they will work towards that 25%, but they're uh, writing in their alternative budgets, stipends that are step-by-step step definitely going towards that goal. I think this is kind of also the question that I had about how does NBK kind of liaise or uh, connect to between cultural policy and the working conditions of the artists like what do you practically do to uh, get politicians to listen to an artist union um oh, this is a and this is a long-term case where it's participating in the media definitely and in meetings and uh, basically talking to politicians and and uh, explaining the situation and then of course like uh, addressing the the cultural policy goals that the, the the different political parties set out towards and then holding them accountable for those goals compared to for example other uh, labor unions strike is not really something that artists uh, uh, have the possibility to do in the same sense and but answering that uh, i've uh, 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 a lot of time I'm focusing on what is called the deferred value. And that is not only economical value, but the, the so, uh, societal value of art. That is, there's a tendency to, to realize the, the, the value of an artwork on a way late, <laughs> much later stage than at the moment of the creation. And that is, I'd say, the most clear Norwegian example is, for example, the Monk Museum. Like the resources put towards those museums and historical uh, uh, inst institutions that uh, uh, is very much a way of expressing the value of that art, not only economical, but also societal. And our goal or our demand is that they show the same amount of ambitious cultural policies towards living artists. Yeah, that's true. It's also good to understand what other kinds of collective agreements has NBK been involved in and, and are prioritizing at this moment. There has been, I've talked a lot about stipends now, but our main concern and then it has been our main um, focus for a lot of years is artists uh, getting paid, basically. So you would call it exhibition uh, fee or remuneration for participating in an exhibition. But basically making sure that artists get paid when they create art and it's being shown in publicly funded institutions. Because this is a problem in Norway that artists are not properly paid when they're making exhibitions. Uh, we have an agreement with the state uh, regarding what is called in Norwegian utstillingsvederlag and it's payment for the loan of the artwork in the, that the, art, the artists own themselves. Mm -hmm. 
but according to uh, the work we've done and, and looking into the numbers is that it's only one third of what should have been paid to the artist that is being paid on a accumulated level. These institutions are not uh, honoring the agreement that NBCO has with the state on this matter. So we're, uh, we've been uh, focusing on this for several years to make sure that we have a, get to renegotiate that, uh, that agreement. Because that is, uh, it is an agreement with the state. It's collective. And, uh, but it's also, it's a case of policy. Mm -hmm. Almost all parties agree that artists should get paid. But there is, of course, a difference in, in uh, whether they think a collective agreement is the best thing. And for, from our part, uh, representing the artist, there is no doubt that there is a need for a collective agreement that we can uh, make sure uh, is being followed. So just to understand this a bit clearly, because I think a lot of people may not follow everything. No. You're talking about when an artist exhibits that they need to get a fee. Is that the is that what you're talking about? And how do you calculate what is a proper amount of money? Mm -hmm. uh, it's important to uh, uh, slightly differentiate uh, what is being paid for in what ma way. Okay. The fee that I'm currently talking about is a payment for uh, the, the exhibition in the sense that the public gets access to the exhibition and can see their artworks and experience their art. Uh, and it's focused on these artworks that the artists own themselves and that they're in a way loaning or and that they should pay a rent for that use of the artwork. And this is something we, uh, the, the agreement that we have today is based on the number of artworks and the price of the artwork. Uh, and that has been uh, uh, slightly challenging because uh, the fee is then very different for artists uh, who have more expensive works. And you can see that, for example, for uh, younger artists, women, artists who work in different uh, medias that are not uh, necessarily uh, priced at the same way uh, are vulnerable. Uh, we're working towards uh, uh, a system that will pay all artists uh, on a more similar basis for exhibitions. And of course, we want uh, there is a, a minimum that uh, the full value of the uh, agreement that we have today, as I mentioned, only one third is being paid. It should be full. So that is like the, the basis of uh, how we're working on this. And this should be set and non-negotiable. And then, of course, you have these things that are more variable. If you, for example, work on creating or building an uh, institution or, or installation, uh, that would be something that is also uh, that should and must be paid for. But uh, so that is also something we're working to get financed. Or if you participate in a panel discussion, if you hang your own exhibition uh, for the, the work being done before the opening. And this is maybe a point like you have the payment for the time after the opening when the public can see the exhibition. That should be set and non-negotiable. And then you have all the work before the opening. And that uh, has to be negotiable on an individual level because it can differ so much. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're definitely trying to uh, make sure that you have some minimums or some guidelines that could help artists uh, demand a, pro a proper pay on that work as well. Yeah, I, and I was just wondering because uh, it also depends so much on which institutions, like there are so many different sizes and variations within institutions that certain institutions can afford to pay 
artists a certain amount while others can't so when you fix certain numbers like this what happens to smaller like artist run institutions who want to show work or um yeah. and this is something that uh it's a good question and i think it's revealing it's a revealing question because uh, from our perspective uh going into an agreement with, like this for artists there is no doubt that what we agree upon will have to be paid and we will follow it up closely because uh there is this tendency of what i've i don't know how to translate it to english but like this skewed demand for uh, upside down solidarity uh, towards artists where artists are forced in a way to to show solidarity towards smaller institutions based on their common goal to make sure that art is available in society and i know that a lot of institutions have a tight economy but that's no excuse for pushing that on the weakest uh, part where artists uh, stand so so this is something i think we as an art, artist organization has to be we have to be way harder on this mm -hmm. uh, for institutions showing that they're actually serious about this solidarity and they, that they actually also take that responsibility to make sure that art has a place in society and then also start to work politically if they in many cases have a weak economy of course that should be strengthened but that should not be put on the shoulders of a single artist which is the case today so this is something i'm like uh all and I, i'm smiling <laughs> and trying to keep cold but this make, makes me furious that institutions keep pushing this down on artists and use rhetorics like i've said about like art in society and common goals etc etc because it, it you can't compare it mm -hmm. no i think this is very important to have such a very strong stand on this most definitely yeah. um going back to a patchwork economy because what what i understand now of nbk's role is that uh, nbk plays a role in the artistic income of artists whereas i think for a lot of artists a majority of your income is coming from artistic related work or non-artistic work. So how does NBK deal with a kind of patchwork economy? And you, very often, like what you see is art institutions, especially will hire artists to do work, for example, painting a wall or construction something so that they can pay them less because they are not, I mean, to, to get a professional painter in Norway to paint your walls is going to cost you a lot of money. So, uh, can a union like NBK insert themselves in a bargaining position at that level, or does that fall outside its, you know, jurisdiction? Or mm. well, this is an, uh, uh, an, I think that we're constantly talking about. So uh, because we we definitely want to take care of our artists uh, on all the levels that they need the support of Endocon, but at the current moment we don't have. A bargaining position on, for example, a paint job, or uh, or other uh, areas. But where we have uh, lawyers working for Embico that can help uh, artists in specific cases, and on a general, I would say, like our uh, uh, what we say is that all non-artwork uh, should be salaried work. Period. And that's just uh, that doesn't necessarily say anything about uh, what that salary should be. 
But then it's possible to uh, compare it with other professionals in that area on uh, more easily. And more importantly, making sure that artists are not uh, starting to do like this bogus self-employment kind of work, because that would it will also create a lot of problems for artists or potential problems because there is uh, mooms. It's basically a tax on service uh, service tax. I think it's called. Uh, either way, it's uh, when you're doing art uh, work. It's uh, there's not this. Uh, you don't have to pay this service tax, but if you do other kind of work, you definitely have to pay this, and that would force you into having multiple companies, and uh, and that is something we've seen lately. We have been reacting on, for example, the Monk Museum, and uh, they uh, recently said that they were asking for an like a pool of worker, which was in no doubt like self bogus self-employment kind of uh, thing. Yeah, what we uh, always say to artists is that if it's not art then you should ask for a salary on a general basis. Of course, if you tend to, like if, if you move towards becoming a professional self-employed technician of some sort, that might be relevant for you. But on a general level, as long as you're an artist and you're doing this like short term or free, uh, it should be salaried work or either as short term employment or freelancing. And more concretely also, you have this the work of um, artist consultants for public uh, art in public space. That has also been addressed lately, where artists are being forced to do that, uh, those kind of uh, assignment, uh, assignments as self-employed workers. And then you have the same problem with the service tax and uh, the difficulty of combining it. We definitely try to take care of uh, our members on all the aspects of actually just living as an artist, uh, acknowledging the patchwork economy that... Uh, uh, and then focusing our political work uh, concretely and specifically at uh, at uh, the artistic work. Mm. I, I also come to this question a lot because I sometimes wonder if the structure of an artist union has to be a little bit like a hyper union, like hyper being like a hyper text <laughs> that to, to when you become a member of an artist union, you also become a member of a painting, a hotel union, uh, you know, because it feels like that's the kind of you that's the kind of structure of, a, of an artist union, considering the way our economy is characterized or the nature mm -hmm. of our work is characterized like a ticket to multiple unions <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah because all this gets very complicated as soon as you bring in immigration and i think um because the specific situation that non-European Union artists find themselves is that they can either be employed or self-employed. They can either and, and they can only work in cultural fields and no other fields. So in some situations, like a lot of um, the idea that what you said, that all other work has to be salaried, it doesn't apply to, say, non-European artists, which is why the, the, the wages and the income level of of artists becomes so important for uh, self-employed workers who are from outside the European Union because this is what they need to prove that they can continue to stay here. So just to ask, like, how has this come into like NBK's policy goals and um, how how do you wish to address this? 
Yeah, and this is something that, uh, of course, like uh, I'm so grateful for all the work that uh, Vansrume is doing on this. Like, it's it is amazing, and it's uh, it's so valuable. And the way that uh, MBCO has been uh, picking up on these initiatives, and also uh, when I was in UQS uh, earlier, we shortly addressed this. And uh, our main point here is that, and we've uh, uh, address this to the government that the income, the total income, needs to be the basis of uh, of an application, because that is the way that artists uh, put their income together. All professional artists in Norway, regardless of their uh, citizenship, puts together their income from uh, in the, in the, this patchway kind of uh, way. So, uh, and this is also the basis of a lot of our work during corona and on general like social security questions that artists due to the fact that our members they have a patchwork economy and at the current moment there is no uh, we don't see this as going away a lot of artists also want to put, uh, have a patchwork economy in the sense that they combine for example teaching which is very much uh, relevant to their practice and to the work of uh, to being an artist so, and I, I, I kind of emphasize this because it, it, in some cases, it, uh, the discussion can turn in the direction where it's like, okay, uh, you have to be either or. But I think for a lot of artists, also on a longer term basis, uh, it will be relevant for artists to have a patchwork economy. Uh, and this is what we base our demand on that uh, uh, for non-AOS citizens, they have to be reviewed uh, uh, according to the working conditions of artists in Norway and the way that artists works. So this is what we're really hoping for uh, that can be achieved because uh, based on and because international solidarity goals and but also working with international solidarity on a national level, which this is more uh, specifically, uh, this is the uh, most urgent and uh, and uh, concrete case that we're currently working on. Yeah, I think from what Nsuma said, we are very grateful to have NBK support. I think we received a lot of support from you, from the lawyers, um, in terms of how we need to go ahead with um, uh, our advocacy work in terms of uh, reaching out to politicians and also just pointing it out to them that there is this kind of miscommunication <laughs> between or, or maybe a forced miscommunication between immigration and labor and uh, what that produces. It produces a whole bunch of people falling through the cracks in our welfare system. And uh, yeah, it's important that we have this support right now from from unions. Yeah, no doubt. It's also uh, just emphasizing that these structural uh, issues uh, were the same structural issues that we saw uh, with the security nets being uh, put together uh, with Corona. Yeah. Uh, also for uh, Norwegian citizens or artists who are Norwegian citizens, that they did not take into account this mixed or patchwork economy. And they did not take into account the what we have referred to as cyclical income, which is... Uh, More like that the income fluctuates 
from year to year fluctuates over several years so that you would have it's normal for artists to have a slightly high income one year and then almost nothing the next and uh, or in different uh, fluctuation cycles so uh, and these things were not taken into account and uh, that was the reason why artists uh, fell through the cracks and uh, i don't have uh, the freshest numbers but it's like only 10% of the artists we've uh, asked and who've answered who used uh, the, the system for compensating self-employed and freelance workers. It's devastating because the losses of visual artists were carried by themselves. And of course, we're super happy and we're proud uh, and we've shown how we as a union have been working during Corona. There has been 91 new stipends and uh, a lot of 160, 100,000 uh, stipends uh, last year, 51 million in in uh, increase in the budgets for the museums to buy art. So we've managed these things, but on a structural level, these compensation schemes did not take into account patchwork economy and fluctuating uh, cyclical income. Is there any chance that something like a like a universal basic income for artists is something that? NBK has thought of or is discussing? Uh, at the current moment, it's not really being discussed at the organizational level, but I'm, uh, I follow a lot of discussions on more informal places. And I think uh, there's a good reason to believe that these uh, things will be addressed in the organization in the, in the years ahead, I think. Super. Thank you so much for your time and for speaking to me and answering all these questions so generously. This is uh, very, very grateful for it. And I think it's important for people to know what unions do and wh where they fall, you know, what do, what do unions take care of? So they also know how to approach unions. So it's really important to hear from you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you again for having me. And I'm, uh, I'm so glad uh, to be able to talk about these things to make sure that more people are aware of uh, Enbeco and, and just emphasizing the simple insight. Like we have more power when we <laughs> organize together than standing alone. As we wrap up this episode, we leave you with a live audio feed from outside the UDI building. Listen closely to the frequencies of immigration bureaucracy.